Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hello, you're listening to Adrian Has Issues, the conversational podcast celebrating the culture of creativity. Today, I am super thrilled to be welcoming back uh, two very special guests and friends. You've heard them on the podcast twice before on both episodes 94 and 123. And if for any reason, if you haven't checked either of those podcasts out, I strongly urge you to do so because, well, they're just awesome. But in the event that you haven't, I will reintroduce them. Today's guests are the uh, co-founders of Oneshi Press. Uh, we have Lindsay G, who's a journalist, editor, writing coach, and critic, and her journalistic work and experience in examining the adult industry and sexuality culminated into a book she wrote entitled Watching Porn and Other Confessions of an Adult Entertainment Journalist, which received an independent publisher book award. Lindsay is uh, the writer of the comic pack and Tracy Queen, the latter of which we'll be discussing in great detail today. The second volume will be launching on Kickstarter on February 20th. And also with us is J.L. Draco, a multimedia visual artist and co-founder of Nash Press, where he is the lead illustrator, lead designer, co-creator, and one of the six writers at work on the Children of Guys series. Uh, if you listen to episode 94, entitled The Cog Horror, we go into very great detail about that. And the Children of Guys series is a genre-bending uh Gosh, this is almost like this, its own universe, basically. Uh, there are several titles, including The Great Nations of Rindaraya, War on Horses, to name a few. And JL also is the illustrator for Tracy Queen, as well as Pack, Mr. Guy, and a bunch of other projects. So, first and foremost, thank you guys. And, and I know we're not going to get into super great detail, but it's sort of been a long time coming as far as trying to get this done today. So, <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time out and chatting with me. Thank you. We're really excited. It's been a while since we've had one of these in-depth chats that we like to get into, so I'm excited. It's such a pleasure to be here. Um, also, I'm amazed. You know more about us than I do. <laughs> yeah, we sound really <laughs> impressive when you say it like that. Thanks. I would almost say I know too much because... <laughs> <laughs> no, and, I, and I'm not even saying this to be like uh, super ass-kissy, but if you think about when it comes to trying to get together like a good body of work and explain you know the amount of work you do and any creator whether they have one published work or dozens the fact that you two have built this company this great world and it's been really fascinating watching you two grow as creators and as well as just individuals and anytime i get a chance to chat with you i'm really really happy to do so thank you so much <laughs> you know i really always appreciate talking to you you're even just conversationally, whenever, like, when you pop into chat while I'm streaming or whatever, like, just your feedback is always golden. And you really help to, like, I feel like you, you tend to put things in perspective and really lighten the um, the mood. And it's just a pleasure talking to you. So hopefully other people will have a have some pleasure in listening to us talk, <laughs> with talk you. to you. <laughs> right. Something that I've always appreciated uh, first and foremost, talking about, you know, let's say the Twitch streams. Um, as a matter of fact, Lindsay uh, did something similar when you were doing live reads through Facebook uh, of your book, Watching Porn, which now there's both a print version and an audio version. The two of you have always worked hard at 
building a sense of community, which is a word that we have said ad nauseum on this podcast and just and amongst our fellow friends and other professionals. And, you know, it's it's a nice thing to say. It's a great sentiment and it's something that's always great to work at. But it's also very difficult to put into practice. Community. I mean, yeah, that's that's a a very key word for what we do. And it's something that I've been practicing at. I mean, honestly, for like 20 years now, maybe more. And I've had different versions and different attempts. And some of them have had names. Some of them didn't even get that far. But I think the team Oneshi is like the community surrounding Oneshi Press. And it's, you know, it's it's open for everyone to to come in and be a part of it. Um, creatives and, and you know, non-creatives, art appreciators alike. Um, some people come into the community for feedback and to grow and learn as an artist. And some people are there because they love art and they just want to, you know, be in on the ground floor and watch things develop and you know, at the end of the day, like we're, we're friends, we enjoy each other's company, we do what we can to inspire each other. The purpose for us creating these things that we put so much, you know, time and attention and care into is because we want to see more of the stuff that we like in the world, right? right. You create something because you want it to be in the world. Um, so when other people are also creating things, of course, we want to support that because we want to see more of what we like in the world, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, would even extend that into what you're doing. You are supporting creators just by giving them a, a platform and a spotlight and by being part of, you know, the conversation. You're, you're a content creator, right? That's entertainment. You're putting more of the content that you like out into the world. At least I would like to think I would hope so. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's um, like, why, why wouldn't we do that? Right. Right. And I guess that's the thing. Why wouldn't you? But I, I guess to kind of even go further and to sort of bring it to what we're going to be talking about, Tracy Queen, is when it comes to things like community and serving not only the people, but also the characters, you two tend to work at exploring the ideas. So it's like, okay, it's not to say community or it's not to say, well, being inclusive or being progressive, but it's something that is not simple. It's actually just quite complicated because we in ourselves are complicated. And mm. with Tracy Queen, um, if I may say, um, and of course we'll get into the synopsis in a minute, is the fact that this story is complicated, much like its characters. And whether it be through Pac or Children of Gaia, like you do it for the fact that, yes, you try to build a world that is inclusive and welcoming, but also acknowledging the fact that it's not a very simplistic black and white way of approaching it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think that we both, um, as creators, but also just as, as people, we're both kind of looking at, I don't know what the right word is, sort of the culture in America right now around, right. especially around politics, but many other, you know, social, cultural issues right now. And we both just see, you know, everything is is so divided right now. And we're seeing a lot of forces at play that are trying to further divide people. And I think that, you know, both of us are frankly appalled by what's going on because we really think, you know, a house divided is never a good thing. It will always fall. So I think our interest um, has always been to 
try to tell more sides of the story than the one that's easy to write a status update about or the one that, you know, will get people on one side of whichever divide you're looking at interested, but not the other side. We're really interested in kind of making content and making a community where nuance is appreciated and even just acknowledged, which, you know, often does not seem to be taking place in a lot of the conversation that's going on culturally right now. So we're really interested in providing deeper looks at the stories that we want to tell because we think that by going deeper, we can show everyone something that they can relate to. And we can bring more types of people together around a story and hopefully, you know, promote conversation and promote real deep thought about the issues that we're talking about with our stories and maybe kind of bridge some of those divides that we're seeing developing around us. Right. And especially with your work, Lindsay, and your journalistic work, you've brought a very sort of realistic examination of these things. Um, Let's say the adult industry, something that so many people, myself included, tend to have very myopic views about um, the performers, the people who produce them, uh, the viewers, and really sort of taking it apart and kind of really asking ourselves like, okay, I engage in this, but why am I engaging in it? And am I doing so the right way? And I really like Tracy Queen for a number of reasons. And one of them mentioning was the fact that it was complicated, but also the best way to sort of get an idea as to who the character is, is giving a very honest view about who they are. So, for my first question, of course, is what is Tracy Queen about? But I guess maybe this is a very broad question, but why is Tracy Queen? <laughs> ah, that's the real ah, question, isn't it? That is. That's a really good question. I can come at it sort of the easy way, which is uh, that I sort of stumbled into writing about pornography professionally about, wow, it was like 12 years ago now. I needed a job, and the first thing that landed on my lap was writing reviews for adult DVDs for a magazine. So I took it because I thought, well, that sounds cool and fun, interesting. It was fun, mostly, and it was definitely interesting. Um, I don't know if it was cool, (laughs) but I started doing it because I needed money, and it sounded like, you know, more fun than, you know, working at a coffee shop or something. Then shortly after that, I actually landed a full-time job and I was, you know, faced with the decision, do I want to keep reviewing these DVDs of smut or do I want to just, you know, let it go? And um, I've always been a writer. I've always wanted to write since I was very young. And that was really at the time, my only outlet for my writing and I was getting paid for it, which is very rare in the, you know, young people trying to get writing jobs uh, field. Absolutely. I decided to stick with it and I really kind of had to dig my feet in to make that decision. I had to come up with reasons that fit my own kind of ethical boundaries. And I decided, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to stick with this because there is something going on here with the world of pornography that I had never seen before. I had never spent that much time thinking about it. Because, you know, I think most people, you know, your average individual interacts with pornography quickly on sort of a needed, as needed basis, um, and then walks away from it, doesn't spend much time thinking about it. And I was being faced with watching, 
I mean, I'm talking about like five, six hour double DVD sets that I had to watch all of. Um, and of course I was fast forwarding through a lot of it, but <laughs> I was, I was spending a lot more of my time thinking about porn than I ever had before. So what, what ended up happening is I started thinking about porn a lot and I started developing a lot of questions that were not being answered by just my casual interaction with that form of media. And I kind of looked around at the people I knew and realized that nobody was, it was, as I said, very as needed, you know, you get what you want out of your porn and then you walk away from it. So I started digging deeper. I started writing a column about sort of the questions that I had about pornography. Um, and then I started my own online magazine where I started interviewing people, doing reviews, writing sort of critiques and commentary on the industry, started going to um, porn conventions and meeting the people that I was watching, you know, on these DVDs. And I kind of ended up making like a second career for myself. Most of the time I was working full time in a variety of jobs. Right. But then at night I would go home and have this whole double life you know, really digging into what made the industry of pornography tick, um, who all these people were and, and what their motivation was. And that sort of exploration culminated in me writing Tracy Queen. So I started out writing a character called Tracy Queen based on someone I knew who actually was not part of the porn industry, but the rest of whose life was so interesting and so over the top and wild. I just thought I have to write about this person. And then I decided to sort of marry those two things into a character and a story that would be able to communicate a lot of what I had learned about the porn industry and also about one person's kind of search for herself and her own humanity. Because I actually found that a lot of the people I met who worked in the porn industry really had found themselves through working in porn. So that's a long answer, but it gives kind of the whole background of how Tracy Queen came to be. Right. You kind of take it for face value, but then eventually you can't help but then start to wonder about the motivations or the personalities behind it, which I've always just personally felt that that's just good practice is just to really kind of understand that a lot of these things that we tend to view and sometimes even just flat out take for granted, you know, they're living, breathing people involved in them. Like, it's not just something to consume and just sort of toss away like these are people's lives right. and i i think that this comic does a, a really and it's a very indirect and almost unconventional way of doing that but it really does ask a lot of tough questions and also having people sort of ask tough questions within themselves yeah i'm really glad to hear that you think that because that's exactly what i was going for <laughs> <laughs> And I say unconventional because, you know, when I'm thinking about, oh, this isn't necessarily a comic strictly about the industry, like in a direct way. But, you know, I don't know how many performers usually deal with uh, robot armies or uh, cocaine snorting <laughs> raccoons, but. More than you think. And I, I think that was really cool because you have a character who has a sense of agency, but in reading the first volume and now the second volume, and again, I had to sort of break past my bias because in talking about these things, it's one of the questions I really had was you have a character, and I'm going to do my best not to necessarily like talk too much about plot points, but you have a character who's essentially finding her sense of agency. You know, there's a lot of expectations and trying to find herself. But, um, and one of the things I'd wrote down was when, you know, exploring these ideas, again, it's very much a 
you know, sex positive feminist book about empowerment. But does someone's sense of empowerment differ from one from another? From one person to another. From another person to another. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think that's um, an inherent truth here. And I think like the point isn't that empowerment should look like this. You need to have an army of cyborg clones that you made from samples of gangbangs that you did to be empowered you know like <laughs> right. no, no one is saying that you know I the, am. well Lindsay <laughs> is, but Lindsay is also a great terrifying evil blight upon this world and Thank you. Thank you. she is wow. the doomer of all so we're just gonna have to like put her opinions in a safe bubble where they belong and examine them from afar like at least a galaxy away um, but outside of that you know i'm gonna i'm gonna assert that the point is empowerment is your own independence your own independent thought your own nuanced views on things and not feeling like how other people relate to those things should trap you or or guide you in a way where you are stuck in a rut. I mean, obviously, you know, not harming other people, finding yourself okay. can look very different for for every person, right? So like Tracy finding her empowerment, it's this is like an absurdist, like maximum like what if case. You know what I mean? It's like we we just took it all the way to be like, yeah, let's let's go all the way. Let's see how far this can go. But, you know, on, on very small and personal levels, if we're taking this as like metaphoric, you know, or like some kind of extended allegory, um, you know, it, it can be that the last thing that you expect might actually be the thing that you feel the best about or, you know what I mean? Right. Well, I would actually, this, this is something that I haven't really thought about before, but I think um, is kind of an, a subconscious thing that really comes through in Tracy Queen. I think that one thing about sex workers generally, and very particularly, I would say, porn stars, that makes them really compelling characters to me, is that many people who have decided to do sex work for a living, you know, they face a huge amount of stigma and backlash, often from their family and their friends, and then from the larger culture. And that can range from, you know, doing work that is considered illegal and therefore basically constantly being in peril um, and right. running the risk of being arrested to, you know, people who do legal sex forms of sex work often can't get bank accounts um, if the bank finds out what they do for a living, that kind of thing. And so I, I kind of think that many people who do sex work have had to grapple with who they are in a very honest and very straightforward way that many of the rest of us don't really have to get around, especially people who are in the public spotlight. So particularly porn stars, you know, they have to be really, I think, honest with themselves about why they want to do the work that they do, whether it's worth it to them or not. And I think that many people who end up sticking with that type of work really end up with a stronger sense of self than many, you know, average Joes who just don't have to ask themselves those kinds of questions. And I have found that in a lot of people I know who work in the porn industry, they're, you know, they're really, I don't know, really confident people because they've had to face that stigma. They've had to face those questions day after day for years, and they've decided that they want to keep doing it. 
Um, and I think that that's something that I built into Tracy's character. Right. Where, you know, she starts out the graphic novel being very much controlled by other people and really never having questioned who she is or what she's doing until she meets this coke snorting raccoon who <laughs> <laughs> obviously that's a life changing moment. And then, you know, she kind of sets off down this path and has to come to terms with who she really is and how different that person is from who she was raised to be. And I think that, yeah, obviously not everybody's going to end up with a cyborg clone army and a talking raccoon best friend. But when you're really faced with those big questions, you know, what are your answers going to be? Um, since this is a graphic novel, she gets to have the clone army because why the heck not? But, you know, some people just end up with a weird haircut or something. <laughs> <laughs> for the record, we're not advocating uh, for animals doing, you know, controlled substances. <laughs> Yeah, I just thought it was fascinating for a couple of reasons. And one of the benefits of being a part of the Twitch streams that JL does and um, Lindsay is often a part of is being there to have people ask questions about the character's motivations. And as you're watching the work being created, um, and I kind of wish I could think of the questions verbatim, but a lot of the ideas that you two have discussed a lot of in your work a matter of fact, uh, just recently, you just released the quarterly anthology uh, regarding justice, you know, and then the last episode that we were together, we talked about vigilantism uh, with PAC. But the overall idea and something that we talked about, I think, in one of the streams with Tracy was Tracy, while she is obviously gaining her own sense of self and her own agency, you were still kind of looking at it through a good versus evil lens when you... I don't want to say you can't, but again, it's not that simple. So then, like, I remember someone had asked, like, is Tracy considered a good person? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we looked at, let's say, Tracy versus, like, uh, Dickie Doublefingers or Nicola the Raccoon. It's like, are these people, like, heroes in the traditional sense or the anti-heroes? And I think that's probably my favorite part about this book is kind of exploring that because there's some instances where you can't always necessarily tell. You know, I think that that's super intentional. I think the idea of hero worship has always been uh, an imperial and colonial tool where like this notion that to do good in the world, you must be perfect. You must be without without fault. You must be someone who has never said anything problematic and has never engaged in anything that harmed anyone. And since you can't be that, you might as well just not try, you know, do your nine to five grind, pay your taxes and get on with life. You know what I mean? When like in reality, anyone worth mentioning is someone that was born and pooped in their diapers and screamed (laughs) and needed to be fed and had to learn how to walk and fell often and hurt people along the way and said harmful things and did harmful things and had to learn the hard way how to be human and what that means and had to learn how to understand that other people are also learning how to be human. And the more we further our understanding of that, the more compassion we have. The more compassion we have, the better an example of how to be human we can set for other humans. So that means understanding each other's faults, right? And trying to help each other learn 
to be bigger than their faults and to, you know, learn from your faults, learn from your mistakes and become a better person every day, right? To do that, we can't ignore people's humanity. We can't have blind hero worship where this perfect person was just born without fault. And since you can't be that, don't even bother. No, anyone worth mentioning in history has had to struggle to be worth mentioning. And if we understand that and we understand their faults and we understand that, hey, you know what? Even Tracy does this fucked up thing in this part of this book, you know, and it's bad that she does this and it hurts people, you know, and at this point she exploits these people that she's, you know, claiming to be helping and she doesn't see it as doing anything wrong. Does that make her a bad person? Absolutely not. She's still empowering people. She's still helping people. She's still finding her own empowerment. She's still standing up against injustice. What it does is it makes her human. Right. And that is vital to all of our characters. I mean, we do have some characters that are just rotten, who just don't figure out how to be human. They just don't. They don't want to. They don't think it's their place to. They don't think they should have to. Wah. You know, like... Our bad guys are the ones who don't want to understand that they have faults and so do other people. Our bad guys are the ones who think their shit doesn't stink and that they're perfect and that everyone should just listen to them. Our good guys are the ones who have faults and see other people's faults and try to just strive to be the best they can. You know, that's what a good guy is. And I think that's a message that is sorely lacking in pop culture. Like we have bad guy heroes, anti-heroes, you know, shows that focus on the bad guy, where the bad guy is the hero of the show. And then we have shows where the good guy is just perfect. And it's horrible that they're in this horrible circumstance, but they rise above it because they're perfect good guys, you know, but we don't have enough like good guys that are people. Um, and that's, I think, what what we do with all of our stories. We, we make our heroes people. And in that, they are not perfect. And sometimes they err. And sometimes those errors are harsh, you know? Yeah. And that's probably the toughest lesson. And I wish I could say that that's something that was uh, merely just a symptom of, let's say, the last couple of years of society, or at least American society, for <laughs> just to kind of bring it a little more. But I think that's something that we've always sort of grasped with is most of the people that we look up to, or at least are told we're supposed to look up to uh, throughout the years, like you said, it's hero worship. So once they're flawed, or once you find out that they're flawed, it almost becomes like this complete 180 where, you know, we can't deal with it. Or there's even times where I couldn't deal with it with certain characters and being fictional ones or even actual well-known people. I mean... People that have meant the world to us and have inspired us have sometimes done some rotten things and trying to grasp that fact of, does this still make them good? And sometimes we can't always tell. Yeah. And a lot of times there's that a little bit of both. And to even present the idea that, hey, this person who's done some screwed up things have actually done also a lot of good for others. It's like, how do you reconcile that? And so I think in a search for trying to find something that's morally upright. And I, I'm not necessarily trying to like wag fingers at everybody or be super preachy about it, but I feel like we have like kind of like lost the, the, the nuance, like I said, of being complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I think that um, a lot of the, the kind of backlash that we're going through now where, you know, you find out that somebody's done something bad and public opinion immediately turns on them. And, you know, it's, it's like night and day. 
I think that's kind of the result of the fact that for a long time, the bad things that people were doing were purposefully, you know, kept quiet so that we could hero worship right. these people. You know, and and I mean, I, I understand from a PR perspective why people did that for the most part, but it has it has not prepared us, I think, for the moment that we're in, where for so long we lived this kind of lie where we thought that all these people we looked up to were perfect because that's how they were presented to us. And that kind of comes on, you know, the, the back of, you know, honestly, early comic book culture. You know, Superman was just a good guy for a really long time. He was the good guy. He had almost no nuance to his character for decades. And, you know, we've, we've built up a whole kind of culture around that in pop culture where, you know, the good guy's always the good guy always wears the white hat. And I, I think that we're living in a really interesting cultural moment where we're starting to see the other side of things. And um, more than that, people are starting to demand that we are allowed to see more than one side of things and that people who have been allowed to get away with stuff that they shouldn't have for so long in the interest of hero worship no longer can. But I we're kind of in this moment where finding out that someone isn't perfect is the worst possible thing that can happen <laughs> for <laughs> right. creators because, you know, people are so angry right now. And that makes it a really interesting time for me to be releasing Tracy Queen, the graphic novel, because she is really, she's not a great person. She's trying really hard, though, to be a better person. And the graphic novel is almost 300 pages long in total. We're releasing it in 36-page volumes so that it doesn't take us, you know, 10 years from now to get the entire thing out before people see it. But what ends up happening is you'll see, you know, kind of snippets of Tracy's story where she starts out real strong and then she screws up and then she does some things that are really kind of uh, nebulously kind of good, but she does them kind of poorly and she's engaging in really intense, really dark subject matter, especially in volume two, I am a little nervous because I'm presenting her doing some stuff that's good and some stuff that's not so good. And then we just have to leave the story there until the next volume comes out. And I really hope that readers are going to be able to look at this and say, okay, maybe she didn't handle that really well. Instead of saying, oh my God, she didn't do it perfectly. I can never engage with this comic again. Right. And I don't think that's necessarily a failing on your end if that happens. I just think that with this story, and even let's say just in a societal sense, this is a time for honesty and a good time for reflection, just realizing that we are flawed and our heroes can be flawed. Now, and again, there is a line. You know, oh, yeah. and we I'm not saying about that. yeah, we, there is a line. I just want to make sure that I'm not saying yes, your heroes can be good, but again, if they're out, you know, I don't want to necessarily need to name everything, but there is definitely a clear case of yeah, hurting people. Yeah, if you think that you can hurt people with impunity and that you deserve to be able to and get away with it, that's not okay. That's yeah. not what we're talking about. You know, right. We're talking about when, when people make mistakes because they don't understand the greater ramifications of their circumstance or they don't yeah. understand, you know, like the dynamics that they're a part of not understanding something and therefore 
making an error in judgment is very different than someone thinking they should be allowed to harm others. Right. That is not ever okay. I just think it's about time that we allow our characters and ourselves even to just have the option to make a mistake because in so much in in such a worry of making one, it's it's damning. <laughs> there, yeah. it really is. And shoot, even like the idea of I could possibly fail this, and then it's to the point where nothing works right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As a creator, it can be really scary. I can I find myself uh, hovering in territory sometimes where I am afraid to put something out into the world for that reason, because I don't want to screw it up. And the thing that I have learned actually through writing Tracy Queen, because I wrote sort of the initial draft of Tracy Queen quite a few years ago, and we've then, you know, since been creating the actual artwork to make the book, um, is when I go back and look at what I wrote, you know, seven years ago, I realize I didn't know what I know now. So some of Tracy's sort of mess ups are really, really honest. They're things that I wrote not realizing at the time that I was being kind of a jerk and making Tracy be a jerk too. And it's really interesting to see that development in myself and in her and to be able to then edit, you know, to make, to make, make intentional. my intentions right. more clear. But it is, it's an, you know, we're all in an ongoing process of figuring out who we are and who we want to be and, if we're not able to look back at who we were a few years ago and realize that we probably weren't doing it right back then, then we haven't really learned anything. So I hope that Tracy Queen will be a way for people to grow as they read. Thank you so much. And I know we were super short on time, but um, really quick for anybody who is interested, um, like I said, this is going to be on Kickstarter February 20th, correct? Yes. Okay. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> and um before we head out though any other like sites or anything else you wish to plug um well obviously follow it as you press but i'll let them tell you everything because i'll start gushing and then <laughs> 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 i don't need um, anybody turning red <laughs> the title of the kickstarter campaign is going to be tracy queen volume two dangerous experiments is the name of the volume so hopefully if you're hearing this after well, on or after February 20th, you can go check that out. There's a lot of awesome artwork on the Kickstarter that'll give you sort of a window into the book itself. We're offering some really snazzy rewards. Pretty much everyone who backs the Kickstarter, unless you choose the no reward option, which I don't understand why people do that, but thank you <laughs> if you do. Um, every reward tier will receive a copy of Tracy Queen Volume 2, Dangerous Experiments, in digital and or paperback format. We've also got a lot of really awesome original art as prints. I'm going to drop it here that one of those art prints is actually going to be a paper doll of Tracy Queen, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I kind of want to have like a whole set eventually of like Tracy Queen and all of her friends and her foes, and they all have a few like outfit changes that really sounds like fun to me. <laughs> um, we've also got um, issues of Pack, which is our other comic book series, which we've talked about with you before, Adrian, um, and which takes place in the same world as Tracy Queen. So there's actually a little bit of overlap between the two series. And at the higher tier levels, we've got issues of our comics anthology, which all have a little bit of Pack and Tracy Queen in them. Uh, what else have we got going on? Um, possibly some, some talk of Mr. Guy stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Love Mr. Mr. Guy is a whole new project that we are starting on very soon. 
Um, and so our stretch goals are Mr. Guy oriented. Uh, Mr. Guy also has a little bit of overlap with Tracy Queen because Nicola, the raccoon, really loves reading Mr. Guy comic books. So they're all tied in together. And Mr. Guy loves reading Kung Fu Catfish comic books. And Kung Fu Catfish reads Tracy Queen comic books. That is meta as all hell, and I am here yeah, for it. Yeah, it gets confusing. Um, I am here for it. No, it is not confusing. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, and all of those, the, the Kickstarter, anyone listening, it, we're going to make it real easy to find. You can go to tracyqueen.com, right on the front page, there will be links to it. Uh, oneshipress.com, right on the front page, there will be links to it. Um, jldraco.com, lindsayg.com. If you want to know more about Pack, there's packcomic.com, one word, and there's mrguycomic.com, one word. Um, so yeah, any of our any of our websites, they are as neatly, carefully put together to be as intuitive to glance through as possible. We've really been pouring over them, trying to make them like really user-friendly, simple experiences. So yeah, we encourage anyone listening to definitely at least check out tracyqueen.com. Um, it's, you know a good overview of the story. Uh, plus all of our social media for the next month or so is going to be very Tracy queen intensive. So there will be links to the Kickstarter and to any and all Tracy queen related media that we've got going on. Including on this podcast. Yeah. On Twitter, <laughs> on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, those are the ones that we use, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. All right. Thank you so much. And I hope that we'll have um, time to chat again, because I know the one thing we have not hit on is Mr. Guy, which is one of my favorites. So uh, when that time comes, uh, we will definitely be discussing that. Awesome. I yeah, can't it's wait. coming up. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time out. And thank you all for listening. And that will do it for this episode of Adrian Has Issues. We will see you next issue. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.